Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Have you ever wanted to be freed from something in your life that you just can't seem to shake? How should a person who claims to have a relationship with Jesus live in their everyday life? This week, Andy will unpack the unlimited grace we have in Jesus and how this should push us to serve and be more like Christ. Enjoy the message. All right, we're going to go into another week back into Empire's Volume 2. Last week we took a break to speak vision. If you missed that, we really encourage you to go back to Kenosha.Church and listen to last week's message. It is a message of vision for the next six months. Uh, we're really excited. God is really ramping things up here at Emmanuel Kenosha Church just as we reach this city. So make sure you go back and uh, listen to that. We are studying the book of Romans. It is Paul's teaching of a greater kingdom at the time, at the biggest empire of the world, the Roman Empire. He's writing to the Romans. And so much practical stuff uh, that we get out of this book. In fact, the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about super practical things. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be free. We're going to talk about grace. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to live in a new life. Uh, week three, we're going to talk about what it means to live in power. And then uh, on four weeks, we're going to talk about how to have new desires, all right? So definitely going a progression here, super practical what we are facing in today's world and today's culture. Before we get into talking about freedom and grace today, though, it is Father's Day, and since it's Father's Day, I'm a dad, I have three kids, and I'm going to try my hand at some dad jokes. Can I, can I just do that, right? I'm going to do some dad jokes right now, all right? So, uh, you know, I love the lake. How many of you love the lake, right? Lake Michigan. It's, one of, it's a hidden gem here in Kenosha, right? The reason why I say hidden is because we forget about it, and then we look at it, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome, right? Have you ever done that before? So uh, it, is, it is a hidden gem. But, you know, something happened last year. Uh, many of us, we, we worked remotely, all right? Right? We, we worked remotely. And so did you hear about the yacht builder uh, who had to work from home? Did you hear about the yacht builder that had to work from home? Uh, his sales went through the roof, all right? So just, uh, just amazing, right? Um, Alice and I have been talking about getting a pet. Yes, it's a dog or cat. I want a dog. I'm getting outvoted. They want a cat, right? How many of you are dog people in here, right? How many of you are cat people, right? Well, anyway, uh, our neighbor just adopted a dog from the local blacksmith, but as soon as he got him, uh, he made a bolt for the door, all right? So didn't know Kenosha still had blacksmith, but, you know, there you go. How many of you have a hard time uh, remembering your password? How many of you have a, remember, a hard time remembering your password, right? For me, I always hit, this is serious, I always hit forgot my password. That's my password, all right? It was like, what's your password? I don't know. I haven't changed it yet today, right? So, uh, yes, but my dad, he's come up with something just absolutely amazing. So his password, and uh, again, don't you dare try to sign in his accounts here, right? But his password for everything is Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Donald, Pluto, Huey, Louie, and Dewey, Dublin. And I asked my dad, why do you have such an absurd password? And he said, well, son, they said I needed eight characters and at least one capital, all right? So anyway, let's try some, I'll just give you three more because I know that you're just, you know, this is just too much, right? But uh, uh, these, let's do some Bible dad jokes, Bible dad jokes, all right? What did the pirates call Noah's boat? The ark, there we are, the ark, that's right. What's a believer's favorite fruit? Spiritual, all right, yes. Believer's favorite fruit is spiritual. And what kind of person was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless, all right. So there you are, there's my dad jokes. 
for Father's Day. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, here's, here's the deal. I, I'm a, I guess I'm, I'm the living epitome of a dad joke, apparently. All right, I'm making them every day. And I thought that was a badge of honor, but it actually isn't. It means that your jokes are actually really terrible. Dad jokes is a term that came into our dictionaries in 2019. So it's a pretty new term. Um, it often provokes eye rolls and groans. And yes, I got a lot of eye rolls and groans this morning, which means I passed the dad joke test. And the reason why people keep on telling dad jokes, the reason why you tolerate them is because either a dad or a father figure or your pastor gives them and because it's the person who's giving them that you, you love or you like, right, uh, there's grace. There's grace. You groan. You roll your eyes like, oh, I can't believe you just said that, right? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Not, not dad jokes, but we're going to talk about grace. Grace is undeserved favor you give somebody. It's undeserved favor that we all long for in our hearts. And when we receive the undeserved favor uh, in our relationships, it results actually in freedom. So today's message is entitled, What It Means to Be Free, but we're going to talk a lot about grace. Because here's the deal. You can't be free if you don't have grace. Romans, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 6 today. We're actually going to start in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 20. So if you want to turn your Bibles there or in your YouVersion uh, Bible apps, uh, that would be great. The words will be on the screen if you're our guest. But again, uh, if you are not our uh, guest, if you're here regularly, we want you to get in uh, the word. All right, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through our Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll unpack that in a moment, but I want to get back to our main idea this morning. This is our main idea. Real freedom comes from the grace of Jesus. Real freedom comes from the grace of Jesus. People talk about freedom, but if you want to know about what real freedom is all about, because oftentimes what people say is freedom isn't actually freedom. It's being enslaved to something. Uh, real freedom comes from the grace of Jesus. To say this simpler, freedom comes from grace. Freedom comes from grace. Now, freedom can mean a few things. In fact, if you were to look at the dictionary definition, it can mean uh, three things. It means the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants to without hindrance. Am I free to speak? Okay, that might be freedom to some people. Uh, it's the absence of a despotic government, right? Uh, so when you think of freedom, you probably aren't thinking of North Korea, all right? Um, and then there is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And that's really where we're going to land on is really that understanding of freedom, of not being in prison and not being enslaved. I mean, we all want to be free, right? We all want to be free. We want to live free. We want to be able to freely exercise our faith. We, want it, we don't want to be told where to work. We don't want to be told what to do in anything, right? We want freedom. We love our freedom. When is the first time you felt free? Maybe it was when you received your driver's license, right? You're like, I just feel free. I felt free in my 1986 Cavalier, all right? I felt free. <laughs> For some of you, it's when you moved into your first home. You opened up your bank account. Some of you, you felt free when you got out of debt and you screamed, I'm debt free, right? For some of you, you felt free when you broke the chains of addiction or you began to step into making the right steps of breaking addiction. Some of you, you felt free when you no longer had to take the treatments of that health condition that you had. Maybe you felt free and you should feel free when you meet Jesus, right? Or when you experience the reality of the filling of the Holy Spirit for the first time, right? Right? 
freedom. What makes you feel free? Well, I remember the first time I felt free. It's when my dad allowed me to take the fishing boat out on the lake uh, for the first time. And he didn't own this boat. It was a resort's boat, but he would be the one to always drive it. And one day I was like, hey, Dad, do you mind if I take the, the fishing boat out today? And he said, yes, you can take it out. And I'm like, sweet. So my brother and I, we took the boat out on the lake. And as I was getting ready uh, to rev up the boat, it was making a weird noise. I was, I was turning the handle and I was, and I was like, well, this is weird. Why is it sounding like I'm just shredding metal right now? Well, the reason why I was shredding metals, I was shredding the engine. Uh, I had mistaken this boat for another boat. One of the boats, uh, you, you did move the handle to, you know, uh, speed it up and do, a, you know, go, you know, put it in reverse and go forward. Uh, but not this boat. If you wanted to put it, uh, if you wanted to move the, the speeds, you would move a handle. Uh, the turning of the dial was only if you wanted to go forward or backward. So as I was trying to speed up the boat, what I was actually doing was going forward, neutral, and reverse all at the same time. And I was shredding the engine. And here my brother and I were stuck in the middle of the lake. We had to row back. And as we were rowing back, every row towards the shore, I was realizing, I'm dead meat, I'm dead meat, I'm dead meat. I don't have money anymore to go to college. My life is over, my life is over. I got to the shore, I took the walk of shame to my dad, and I said, Dad, I think I shredded the boat. He's like, what? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. And he went down there and he looked at it, and of course it was broke, so then he went uh, to the resort owner, and I thought, my life is over. And as I'm waiting, I'm hearing this laughter, and, and as they got out of the cabin, they shook hands, and and I was totally confused, and they just went on their way. And I said, Dad, I'm confused. Like, uh, shouldn't I be dead meat? Shouldn't my life be over? And he goes, don't worry, son, I paid for it. What? Well, what's the owner think? Oh, he's, he's ecstatic. He wanted to replace an engine. Now he gets to get a new engine. And they just went on. They went fishing. I'm like, and they didn't say another word about it. I mean, yes, there's some jokes every once in a while, but, but they didn't say anything about it. I was so confused, but I want to tell you something even more than my confusion. I felt relief. Because I receive favor, I receive grace from my Father I did not otherwise deserve. And that grace made me realize the debt I was no longer in to my Father, to the owner of the boat. I felt free. I felt free from shame. You know, this is exactly uh, what we see when we feel free from our shame and guilt before our Almighty God. Our Heavenly Father, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive grace and favor of his love that removes your sin debt that could otherwise not be removed. In the previous message, Paul speaks to the status of when we move from being dead to alive. In Romans 3, 23 through 24, he said this, and this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. The reformer Martin Luther said this, said this last week, or two weeks ago, he said that everything rises and falls on the understanding that we are justified by grace through faith alone, nothing else. We receive the grace of Jesus Christ, not by our works, but by everything that Jesus did on the cross. And when you place your faith and trust in him alone, and by his grace, you're not just bailed, right? You're not on bail. No, you are free spiritually. You are freed, period. You are freed into his favor. It doesn't make sense, but it's the most beautiful gift anybody can receive. Freedom comes 
from grace. But today, we want to move from what we've been talking about, the shift of our status of our uh, salvation. We wanted to now talk about our condition, meaning that when you step into faith in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, what should change in your life? What should change? Now, we're going to unpack this in even greater detail uh, next week, but I want to just put the ball on the tee and let's take a swing. Now, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, should your life be the same as when it, you didn't know Jesus? Should it be the same? Should there be change? Some people have proposed they have Jesus in their life, and yet their life never reflects any significant change. While on the other side of the spectrum, there are others who claim that grace is dangerous, and they try to get to God through rigid rules. I want to talk about both of those errors today. Real freedom comes through grace, nothing else. comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. Freedom comes through grace. So how are we be changed by the grace of God? How are we to live free in Christ? And what does that all mean? Well, let's talk about the first error. Number one, grace doesn't mean lawless living. Grace doesn't mean lawless living. Let's go back to Romans 5.20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice verse 20. Where sin increases, grace increases. Let that just sink in a little bit. That is, a, that is a crazy verse, right? Where sin increases, grace increases. Are you meaning to tell me that grace is unlimited? That there's no limits to grace. You see, when the first human beings, Adam, sinned, it resulted in the condemnation for all of us. Sin entered the world, and every single, hate to break it to you, but every single one of us have sinned. We have sinned, we have fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've all missed the mark. But when Jesus died on the cross, he stood in the gap and he provided salvation, forgiveness, and clean slate, and more than that, favor that lasts a lifetime. Now what Paul is making clear, the law informs us, the law, what we see in the Old Testament, it informs us that we have missed the mark. You don't get very far in the Bible to you realize, especially you get to the Ten Commandments, it's over at that point, right? Like, okay, you know, I was doing pretty good. Oh, wow, okay, never told a lie. All right, God, what about that? Okay, I missed your mark, okay, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so Paul's statement in verse 20 is absolutely mind-blowing. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin previously reigned in a person, that means the grace and forgiveness in the follower of Christ reigns even greater. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus as a result. And this is an absolutely beautiful and freeing truth for you this morning. I don't know what you're bringing in this morning. I don't know where you're feeling condemned this morning. I don't know that weight to where you feel like there's no way that you can have a close relationship with God this morning. But I want you to know his grace can outpace what you did wrong. This is a beautiful truth. And it's absolutely inconceivable to our human minds. The pagan mind, the secular mind, the religious mind. So when one hears about the grace of God that to be right with God requires no work on your own, you don't have to do anything, that you receive this freely, not by your own merit, it's not crazy to think that someone may say, well, if you can get something free, then why do you have to do any work afterwards, right? I mean, you may have thought this way. Uh, you may have heard someone say this. All right, great, I'll take Jesus. But I still want to live my life. 
Anybody remember the old country buffet? Old Country Buffet. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we as a staff, we used to go to the Old Country Buffet and they went out of business, all right? So, but uh, the Old Country Buffet was a mediocre buffet, all right? That's why it's out of business. Uh, but they had a lot of food, all right? And you can choose. You can have jello and chicken, all right? So, but uh, the Old Country Buffet. Um, but the, what reminds me of anything about the Old Country Buffet is a story of an elderly couple that got arrested at the Old Country Buffet. They got arrested because they tried out the whole idea of, is it really all you can eat? You see, they went there, they got their fill, they paid, mind you, they got their fill, and when they were done, they brought out bags of Tupperware and started filling up the Tupperware, right? I mean, they filled up a week's worth of food, and the, and the store's like, you can't do that. Oh, yes, we can, it's all you can eat, and we're gonna eat it. No, 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 that's not what we mean. They actually called the police on these people, right? And when the police came up, their alibi was, it's a buffet, it's all you can eat. We're going to sue you. Well, listen, I don't know where the lawsuit went, but they did get banned from the old country buffet. And what they demonstrated was, they demonstrated the limit to a buffet. They demonstrated the limit to all you can eat. And the reason why I bring this up is because, is the grace that Paul talking about, is it really unlimited? Or are we talking about a grace that's kind of like the old country buffet? Right? Are you living like you live at, you're taking food at the old country buffet? Or are you at the table that God just keeps on heaping on the food, right? At the banquet. Listen, this is not false advertising. Faith plus grace plus nothing is unlimited. And Paul's gonna go to great uh, stakes here to say that the grace that you receive is unlimited and it will cover every sin you have committed, you will commit, you will ever commit. And it also points out very clearly that nothing else will save you except grace by faith alone. Baptism doesn't save you. Communion doesn't save you. Joining a community cause or a team doesn't save you. Uh, reading your Bible, praying, singing, no matter how hard you sing or how hard you pray, that doesn't save you. No matter how much you've messed up or haven't messed up, that doesn't save you. Those are really important things. Those are things that help you grow in Christ, to know who he is, uh, to, grow, to grow in that close, intimate relationship with Christ, but they do not save you. If you think so, it's a work. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It's scandalous. Sounds too good to be true, but it's unlimited. And this led to a specific accusation against Paul against the gospel of grace, of which Paul addresses head on in a rhetorical question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read it. So if people are like, okay, you're telling me this is really unlimited grace? All right, Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? They're asking, hey, all right, if it's unlimited grace, uh, how about we just keep on sinning? We'll just pile on the sin, and Jesus is going to be even greater because his grace will increase. Ha <laughs> ha, I think I found a loophole, right? Paul's bringing up a charge which is called antinomialism. I mean, it's Latin for no law. People are accusing Paul that grace through faith alone would lead to lawlessness. This is the idea that if Jesus paid it all and grace covers it all, then a person can say, well, then what's my motivation for living for Jesus at all? A person that lives lawless in response to grace is living with a lawless attitude. And by the way, if Paul was preaching the true and pure gospel of grace, which he was, why were people confused? And the best explanation I have ever seen of this is by pastor and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this, I'll put it on the screen. The true preaching of the gospel salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. 
There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand or misinterpret it to mean that. Because you're saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning. If my preaching of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to this misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. What what he's saying is this. If I was preaching today a justification by works, if I said, hey, you can be saved by your good deeds, guess what you'll never accuse me of? Saying that works are, are not important, right? Of course they'd be important because your salvation relies upon it, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that it's not about works. It's about the grace of Jesus Christ. And so if it's not about works, it will open yourself up to people saying, so you mean I could have Jesus and just live however I want? So as Paul was preaching this free and unlimited grace, the grace abusers and accusers came out of the woodwork. So what you're saying is we can do whatever. I mean, we've met that person like that, right? They're like, well, I have Jesus in my life. But you look at their life and like, well, you're, you're thieving Walmart and you're like, you're, you know, every other word that's coming out of your mouth is just vile. Like, are you sure you know Jesus, <laughs> right? We've, we've met that person and maybe we've fallen into a season and been that person. But that's not what grace leads you to. It doesn't lead you to a lawless type of life. This is Paul's response to this accusation. What shall we say then? Should we continue to sin that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Shall we sin so that grace multiplies? Absolutely not. This is a, <laughs> this is a nuclear bomb of Greek. It's the strongest idiom of, of repudiation. Should we sin so that grace increases? This is how we can translate it. No, no, and if you haven't heard me, no. Not only has the person that has bought into this lawlessness missed what Jesus has done for them, it may point to the very idea they may have missed Jesus altogether. Paul's response is a big one, and don't miss it because it has huge ramifications for your life. Look at this verse two. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you die to sin. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Paul told us at the Galatian church that struggled with the idea of grace. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you say yes to Jesus, you come alive in Christ. You are forgiven. Uh, You're not just forgiven, you're given the Holy Spirit to live in you, and you have a responsibility to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a constant uh, occasions, right? On an everyday occasion, constantly, to be filled with the power to change. Why would you return to the very thing that Jesus freed you from? That is no longer your reality. It's no longer your reality. You are dead to sin. It is dead to you. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, that's true, then why do I still feel the effects of sin? Now, by the way, nobody's perfect in here. If anybody says, oh, I'm perfect, I've reached it, I'm like, okay, let's have a talk. You just lied, all right? So, but there's a difference between dealing with the ramifications of being in a sinful, you know, sinful reality, right, and growing to be like Christ and being dead to living in sin, right? We are constantly growing. We we can constantly defeat uh, sins that so uh, tightly hold on to us. 
but you are dead to sin if you're in Christ. This is what I mean by this. Let me demonstrate it this way. When I go to Iowa sometimes, I, uh, I show our family, I, I like to reminisce, all right? So I show our family uh, my boyhood home, all right? And so we're drive, we'll drive up and I'll show my boyhood home on 14th Street. And, and Elias one time was like, Daddy, let's go in. Uh, and I was like, well, I, I don't think I can do that. And I thought about it for a second. I was like, well, I could do that, right? I could just, you know, knock on the door. If they don't answer, I could just walk right in and give them a tour. I know the house really well, right? But imagine if I did that and the owner showed up, right? They're like, what are you doing? Well, this was my boyhood home. That's great, but it's not your home any longer. We're calling the cops, right? <laughs> like, it, it wouldn't work. You'd get kicked out. Why? Because it once was my home. I still have feelings about that home. I still have memories that are very vivid about that home. But that home is no longer mine. It's no longer my abode. That's the way it is with sin. Uh, you might remember the effects of sin of your past. You may be dealing with the ramifications of sin in your current. You may step into sin in your life, uh, in the current or even your future. But that is not your identity. That is not your abode. The power of sin has been broken in you. And it's been replaced by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That you're to be filled with constantly so that you can walk in his power. Not the power that your life once was. Because real freedom comes in the grace of Jesus. When a person wants Jesus but also wants their old way of life, they have lowered God's view of sin and misunderstood the power of the gospel. Jesus frees you to live for him, not yourself or your old life. Grace doesn't mean lawless, lawless living. But in response to lawless living, sometimes those in the religious world, even in the church, even in our personal lives, sometimes we respond to lawless living or, or the fear of stepping into lawless living with another error. It's on the other end of the pendulum. You have lawless living, but on the other end of the pendulum we swing is legalism. Grace isn't kept by legalism, by the law. Uh, so whereas antinomialism is, is no law, legalism is let's keep grace by the law. The most basic definition of legalism I can give you is trying to keep or earn God's favor, that is his grace, by what you do. It's not that what you do is unimportant. It means that what you do should be a reflection of who Jesus is, not trying to gain his favor. Big difference. All right, let's continue. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here it is, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For we have been united with him in the likeness of death. We will certainly also be the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so the body ruled by sin may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person has died is freed from sin. Notice verse three. Paul is stating, every person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus has been baptized under Christ. Now, we, we are familiar with the word baptized or baptism, right? When we think of uh, baptized, we think of the act of baptism. This word, by the way, comes in the originals from baptizo. We transliterate it. It literally means to immerse into water, to, to immerse or to lower, okay? And so uh, whenever we do believer's baptism here at Emmanuel, and the reason why here at Emmanuel Kenosha Church we do believer's baptism is because it's what we see in the early New Testament church. 
that when a person placed their faith and trust in Jesus, an act of obedience was to go public in their faith uh, by being baptized in water. Uh, that, that baptism in water was a, a representation, a visual representation of being buried and rose from the dead through Jesus Christ. But Paul is speaking not so much here of the act of baptism here, but our union to Christ when we place our faith and trust in him alone. Uh, what Paul is speaking here in, in Romans 6.3 is a historical fact. That when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, your old life is buried. You are resurrected into a new life. This isn't something that is theoretical. This is something that actually happened. This is the actuality of your life. Whether you feel that in your experience or not, this is what happens when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone. You have a new identity. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And we're to seek those daily feelings. And as a result... We're no longer enslaved to sin, and we are freed from the power of sin. And although you may still sin, it is no longer your master, as verse 4 states. We can now walk in the newness of life. So my question to you this morning is this. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, are you walking in that new life? Now, hopefully the answer is yes. That means you're not walking lawless. But don't make the big mistake thinking that you can walk into a new life because just how good you're upholding the rules. Walking in new life needs to be a response to the grace of Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, he has placed a new identity on you. It, may, it might not feel like that sin is dead in you, but positionally it is dead. And our prayer and our responsibility is to move our experience into our position. Did you get that? Too often we look at our experience and we're, we live by our experience, what we feel what we felt, what happened in our life. And we make that the reality at the expense of the position that Christ has placed us. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's no condemnation. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're a child of God, you're a son and daughter of the king, right? That is your position. And it is our job to daily step into that position, no matter how you feel, no matter what happened. And you can do that because of grace. And if you're in Christ, you have favor. Let that sink in. It's Father's Day. We're going to be grilling here. Let that marinate a little bit, right? Let that just, put that on warm and let it, you know, slow cook a little bit. Some of you have smokers here and it's been going for like six hours, right? Just let it go. Let it go, right? Oh, it's going to taste good. You have favor. You have favor. You have favor. When you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your position is one of favor. That might not feel like what's going on. It might not be what you believe. But this is how he sees you. A favored son and daughter of the king. Step into the position. Step inside his love. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For death he died. He died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Did you get that, by the way, in verse 9? Look at that, verse 9. The death he died, he died for all time. Have you ever said sorry to somebody? And it just felt like you need to say sorry 35 more times. I am so guilty of that, all right? Whenever I say sorry, I'm like, oh, man, I need to say it more because I just feel so sorry, right? You know? Um, and it, it just doesn't feel like, you know, it just feels like it's going to the floor, right? And that's my issue, I guess. But, you know, sometimes we feel that, right? We say something like, did it really have that weight? Maybe I should say it again, right? Especially if you're a words of affirmation person, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
But the thing is, is that Christ did not have to die multiple times because of your multiple sins or the world's multiple sins. He went to the cross once and for all, and it is finished. It's finished. He didn't need to, we don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to re-crucify him. Uh, you, when you personally place your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't have to come to church every Sunday like, well, I better get saved again, I better get saved again, I better get saved again. No, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, nothing can take you out of his hand, nothing. If you truly place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are his. Let it sink in, church. You are his. I don't know what is condemning you this morning, but the grace of God, he wants to lavish and overwhelm you with it this morning. Freedom comes from grace. But the error of legalism is anything but grace. Legalism manifests itself in two ways. It goes above what scripture says and it relies on self-promotion because it makes you feel good when you're doing really good, right? And listen, I'm not down in good works or doing good things. It's just it doesn't gain favor to God. God bought your favor to him by going to the cross, Every real religion relies on their rules to get salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ stands alone. There's only one religion, if you want to call it that, in the entire world that's, that speaks of something other than works. It's the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, and his grace. Grace alone through faith. The gospel sounds too good to be true because all we have to do is believe to be saved to put our faith in Jesus when we try to gain our love and acceptance from Jesus by our works, it overshadows the beauty of the gospel. It prevents us from standing on the truth of what Jesus did for us. Every real religion has a blood, sweat, and tears approach. I mean, Buddhism, they, they uh, deny yourself through the noble eightfold path. The noble, that's what they call it, eightfold path. In Islam, it's submitting yourself to the five pillars of Islam. In New Age, it's about the type of crystals you have and the oils and meditation. Every real religion... It's about blood, sweat, and tears. It's a ladder approach to God. Jesus Christ broke that ladder in two. He said, come to me, all who are weary. I'll give you rest. Legalism will not keep or lead you to grace. And this leads us to where we need to land. Grace is received and grows through a saving relationship in Jesus. To avoid legalism doesn't mean, by the way, you don't have convictions and you're not obedient. That will lead you right back, swing the pendulum right back to no law, to lawlessness, to antinomialism, right? What it means is this. The reason why you're obedient isn't to gain salvation. The reason why you're obedient is because of your salvation. It's because of your thankfulness and having a gratitude to what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when you realize, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you realize, I want more of God. There's nothing greater. There's nothing better. When you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, when you experience forgiveness in Christ alone, you realize, I want more. It's not that God has to create more of himself. No, it's our realization. It's our understanding of how little we have of God in our life and how much more we can have. So it doesn't mean we don't have standards. It means that we live our whole life in our standards because we love God. We love Jesus. Because verse 14, 614, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace if grace meant you can sin however you wanted to do this is how this verse would read it'd say for sin will rule over you because you're not under the law 
That's not what it says. For sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. Grace leads you to obedience from a thankful heart. Jesus says, if you love him, you will keep his commands. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you are made new. And the more you spend time with Jesus and his word, when you pray, when you spend time in corporate worship together, that means when you're with one another, you, you get to grow in Jesus. And when you grow of Jesus, you realize, I just want more of Jesus. You want to know why you want more of him? You want to know why your heart's beginning to long for him? It's because this is exactly why you were made. Obedience is motivated by the love of God. You, we gather because of our love of Jesus. We share Jesus because we love him. Did you know that when, when, when you fall deeply in love with Jesus, sharing Jesus doesn't become so much more, uh, oh man, I want to do this. Do we talk about that with somebody we actually love? It motivates our sharing. It motivates our obeying. It motivates our everything. Imagine when uh, my dad, when, when he paid that very expensive broken motor on that boat, right? Imagine, imagine with me if my response to my dad was, I gave him a little shove, I screamed at him, and then I went out to the marina and I started breaking a bunch of other boats. Would that be a grateful heart? No, what it would be is two things. It means I either didn't understand the magnitude of what my dad did in the first place, or I mean, I didn't care and I didn't want anything to do with it. Grace will always lead you to a hunger, to a depth of who Jesus is. And when you want more of Jesus in your life, you're going to experience spiritual freedom you have never experienced in perhaps your entire life. So this is our response as freedom comes from grace. I want you to identify where you have been living lawless. Identify where you've been living lawless. Have there been areas where you're just like, oh, God doesn't care about this. He doesn't care what comes out of my mouth. He doesn't care about, you know, uh, how I deal with my relationships. Or he doesn't care about, you know, uh, just uh, how I do business. Or he doesn't care about how, I, how I'm a student. Or, where are you living lawless? You're just relying on, oh, I could just forgive it away. Oh, it's forgiven. All right, now I'm going to go do it tomorrow. Thanks, God. You can't game God, right? Where are you trying to game God? Second, on the other end, where are you even trying to gain favor by legalism? I feel really close to God today because instead of a one-hour Bible study that I did, uh, my one-hour devotions yesterday, and then I really messed up, today I did two. Today I did two, and then I skipped a meal because I don't deserve it, right? No, you, that's not doing anything except making you hungry, right? And spending more time in the Word, which isn't a bad thing, but if you're doing that to try to gain God's favor, you're going about it the wrong way. Number three is open yourself up to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by this is that often the reason why we're living lawless or we're living in legalism is because we're hiding behind that thing of which we don't want to change. God, I want you to have the depths of my heart. That often manifests itself in praise and worship. It manifests itself in how we trust and walk in the word that we're reading. It manifests in our everyday life. God, I want to give you access to everything. And number four, we love Jesus, right? Yes, Peter. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Do you love me? And the Bible says deeply he was grieved. He said, yes, Lord, I do. Then go be my sheep. Let's reach those in your life, your baristas, your family members. I may be a broken record on this. It's because in the New Testament, it's a broken record. And the result is day by day, people are meeting Jesus. 
spend some time, ask the Spirit of God to search your heart. Where have you been living lawless? Where have you been living by legalism? Where does God need to search and have the depths of your heart in different areas? Again, who's your three? You're praying for, you're sharing, you're praying for, you're caring for them randomly, and you're also sharing Jesus with, inviting them to church. So Heavenly Father, we love you. We open our hearts to you. And we ask you, Lord, that we would follow you in response to the depths of your grace. How sweet it is. How unfathomable your grace is. That it can find us. It can find you. It can find me. In any and all circumstances. We can never measure the depths of your love. And we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to the person who who has never even tried to break the chains of addiction because they've used your grace as an excuse of continuing an addiction. God, I pray that you'd bust that addiction today. Lord, I pray for those marriages in this room right now that are struggling and they've never strove to, to grow in their marriage because they've been relying on, well, it doesn't matter because we got the grace of Jesus. God, I pray for those lawless areas. I pray for the person, the eyes that are wandering online and they go to places they shouldn't because they know the drill. They're going to they're gonna say they're sorry and then they get to do it the next day. God, break those chains of addiction. Break those chains of thought process, God. Be the circuit breaker. Father, I pray for the person that's relying on legalism. They feel really good at how they're living. God, I pray that they would just love you and they live life accordingly and obediently because they love you deliver people from legalism in this room. Lord, I, I just pray that you would go in the depths of our hearts, God. I just pray for just individuals, even in this room right now, that they would open your ears to your Holy Spirit for the first time. That they would say, Holy Spirit, will you come fill me? They wouldn't be scared of that prayer. They would embrace that prayer to live in a new power, not the so-called power of their own personal strength and might and willpower, but by your Spirit. Lord, I just pray for a harvest in this city. I pray for new life. In fact, as we continue praying, I just want to speak to anybody here today to where if you're uncertain, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You see, you just can't know about Jesus because everybody kind of knows about Jesus. Uh, what we see in the New Testament is you got to know Jesus on a personal level to receive that forgiveness, to receive his unlimited grace, to receive his favor over your life. You see, God created you not, you're not a mistake. God created you on purpose. He created you to know you. But guess what? In our natural selves, we wanted nothing to do with God. We sinned, and sin separates us from Almighty God. And what every real religion tries to do, what every secular cause tries to do, is we try to make better in our own strength, by our own works. And yet the only thing that happens with that is we grow tired and we give up. But Jesus is different. He came 2,000 years ago to do what we couldn't do. He died on the cross, stood in your place, took the punishment that was rightfully ours, and he took our sin debt and full, and he died on the cross to save you from your sins. Because he's the perfect sacrifice, death couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead. The Bible says 
that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. For by grace you are saved through faith, not a work so that nobody may boast. The Bible says, cry out in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Will you do that right now? Will you just tell Jesus that you want to have a personal relationship with him? We tell Jesus that you, you want forgiveness from your sins. We tell Jesus, we thank Jesus for dying on the cross, saving you from your sins, and that he rose from the dead. We tell Jesus that, that you, want, you want to walk uh, with him now. We just tell him that. In fact, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's your prayer today, if you're making Jesus personal, if you've placed your faith and trust in him alone, will you just make eye contact with me? Because I want to pray for you this week. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, just make eye contact right now and just say, yes, that's me. I want to place my faith, I want to place my trust in him alone. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Awesome. So, Father, I pray for everybody who has placed their faith and trust in you alone this morning, that today they would, they would rest in the finality of your forgiveness. Now on the cross, you said it is finished. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.